Guess what? What? It's one week until Christmas. No. Just six sleeps. And six episodes of Crimes, Clues and Christmas. Have you done your shopping? They don't need to do shopping for Crimes, Clues and Christmas. That's true, but they could buy us a virtual coffee via our website, newoldfriends.co.uk, if they really wanted to. Or they can help us out for free by going on to iTunes and rating the show five stars. Ding, 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 ding. Or just tell a friend. Just tell a friend. Anyway, I'm Ferg. I'm Heather, and we are New Old Friends, and this is Comedy Whodunits for Your Ears, second annual audio advent calendar. This year, as well as a comedy killings, we're also serving up a daily quiz question. Ferg? That's correct, Heather. One point for you. Over to you. Oh, I see. Hashtag Nof Quiz Question 18. Can you name all three wise men? Are they called Brian? Okay, no. I want I want the names from the, from the story. I don't want you to just name all three of them. All right, anyway, uh, we won't be giving out questions. No, we will give out questions. We won't give out answers until the series is over, Heather. <laughs> let's just all give out questions. We're going to give out questions, then answers, when the series is over. Meanwhile, let's press on with crimes. Clues. And Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding. Ding. Crimes, Clues and Christmas. Chapter 18. I made my way to the theatre the following morning. In such a good mood, I found myself whistling Good King Wenceslas. I don't know if you've ever whistled a Wenceslas, easy for me to say, but one can find themselves devilishly short of breath around the brightly shone the moon that night section, and it caused me to arrive in the foyer bar panting slightly. Given the welcome I received from the Soviet sympathising service wench, I dearly hope she doesn't change career paths to nursing. What's wrong with you? She said with a sneer. Nothing at all. Just that walking, whistling and Wenceslasing will wind one, Wendy. Not Wendy. What do you want? That depends, Cassandra. Do you have milk? Not Cassandra, but yes, we have milk. In which case, I'll have a cup of tea and milk, please, Pythia. Pythia? That's not a name. You're taking the pith now. I assure you it's a name. The High Priestess at Delphi was called Pythia. Well, I'm not. You sure about that milk? Yes, why wouldn't I be? Well, only that the milk has been stolen from cow and calf, literally ripped from her teat by a capitalist pig willing to profit from her distress. Right, I see. I'll have a black coffee, then. Mmm, but this talk of pigs has rather put me in the mood for a bacon sandwich, if you'd be so kind. The poor young revolutionary threw her hands up in the air and huffed off towards the kitchen area, but I fancy I saw a little smile forming at the edge of her mouth. Artridge was wearing her down. We'd make a placid little worker drone of her yet. Uh, a valuable member of society, I mean. By the time O'Rowby had arrived, I'd had both my coffee and my sandwich, and ascertained that the name of the girl didn't feature in any of the collected works of Shakespeare. In truth, I thought that Mopsa, Lavinia and Mustard Seed were unlikely, but I liked to be thorough. You do promise to tell me if I ever get it right, don't you? Yeah, if you get it right, I'll tell you. She grudgingly agreed. Coffee for the inspector. No, thank you, miss. Let's just crack on, shall we, Artridge? The policeman's energy was different today. He'd always been a little officious, but this morning he was brusque to the point of rudeness. Are you all right, inspector? You seem troubled. Troubled, he says. Artridge, a woman has died. I have a very good reason to suspect she was killed in front of multiple witnesses, and yet I don't have a workable theory with which to identify the killer. So sure, I'm troubled. Troubled is putting it mildly. I see, I said, for it was true. I did see. Not an ideal situation to find oneself in. I thought I'd try and lighten his mood by sharing the reason for my own buoyant spirits. Well, I had rather a lovely evening after I left you, actually, Uh, but he cut me off. Unless this story ends with you making some breakthrough in the case, which I highly doubt, save your breath. Right-o. So what's the plan this morning, then? 
He looked at me with a thin smile and just a hint of cruelty in his eye. I wouldn't say it's a plan exactly, but I want to take another look at where the rope was cut. I could feel my good mood slipping and a cold bead of sweat form on the back of my neck and roll down under my collar. Do you mean up in the fly floor again? Oh, I'm not sure we can learn too much from up there, can we? I mean, we had a look, couldn't really find much. Uh, don't really see why we need to go up again, do you? O'Ralby laughed at my discomfort. <laughs> don't soil yourself, Artridge. I'll go up and take another look. Why don't you inspect the stage? The stage? What am I looking for on the stage? Oh, I don't know. Your testicular fortitude, perhaps. His mean little joke had brightened him right up, and the inspector headed off into the auditorium, chuckling to himself. I returned my cup and plate to the bar primly, making a point not to scurry after O'Ralby, and bid goodbye to Prioress. Prioress isn't a name either. Tell that to Geoffrey Chaucer. <laughs> I was going to need a new system. Clearly England's great poets were no help for me. But in the meantime, I felt I'd proved my point enough and scurried after O'Ralby into the auditorium. Despite the fact I was looking for him, the scale of the stage and the grandeur of the proscenium arch took my eye at first, so I almost didn't spot him halfway up the ladder in the stage left wing. Stage left, which is to the right as I looked at it. I think. Is stage left right? No, oh, it doesn't matter. Are you sure you'll be okay up there, on your own, Inspector? I think I'll manage, thank you, Artridge! He shouted back derisively. Just watch your footing. I stood on something slippery last time. You just worry about searching the stage, eh? He laughed as he reached the top and pulled himself up onto the gantry. I know he was mocking me, but without anything better to fill my time with and not wanting to simply sit in the plush red velvet seats and wait, I climbed up over the stage apron and started to cast my eye over the floor. I'd just taken centre stage and was gazing out at the banks of seating, considering launching into a bit of Henry V, when once again my foot slipped a little underneath. Less, once more under the breach, more ones falling onto the seat of one's breeches. I looked down at where my foot had lost grip and saw a small translucent mound. Inspector! I yelled up, going down onto one knee to get a closer look. What is it now? O'Ralby replied, looking down through the mesh. Why are you on your knees? Oh, don't tell me standing upright's too high for you now. No, no, it's not that. I think I might have found something. Tell me, am I underneath the line the sandbag fell? Not quite. You're about two foot off. Could you do me a favour and check the rig floor directly above me? I'd scratched a little at the opalescent hillock and it had come away under my fingernail. Eh, hey, you're right. There is something here. A slight waxy residue. What have you got down there? Well, I'm pretty sure it's a little pile of wax. Candle wax. What the devil does that mean then? I'm rather afraid it might mean we've got to start the whole thing over and take another look at one or two people. How do you mean? Well... What if somebody rigged the sandbag and then lit a candle on the fly floor underneath the rope? Those hemp lines are pretty thick. It'd take a good amount of time to burn through. The Irishman above me cottoned on to my way of thinking. He'd already started making his way back down the ladder to join me on the boards. Which would give more than enough time for someone to set the candle, climb back down the ladder and end up, well, frankly, wherever they wanted when the thing fell. Exactly! O'Rowby met me in the middle of the stage. The pair of us hunched over and took another look at the little heap. The policeman did as I had done and scratched a little at the surface with a nail. It's definitely wax. So, if my theory is correct, it means anyone could have been responsible for the death of Daisy Love. They wouldn't need to be up on the fly floor. They could be anywhere. Like having a secret romance. 
Arabi's eyes shone. He had had obvious misgivings about releasing Marlena Schweinvolger and Tatum Cakey Lyle, and here was an opportunity to bring them both back in and interrogate them further with their amorous alibi a non-factor. But before we could go anywhere, the tannoy system blared into life. I couldn't tell if the crackle was caused by the PA system, or if it was just Dot's smoke-ravaged voice. Inspector Arelby and Mr Altridge, would you come to Dot's office, please? Inspector Arelby and Mr Altridge to Dot's office, please. We exchanged a look. The choice was clear on Arelby's face. Should he ignore the summons and go find Marlena and Keiki, or was it possible Dot Clitheroe has some important information for the investigation? Ultimately, the latter won out. Let's go see what she wants. We knocked on Dot's door and she rasped. Come in. She'd clearly been in from early this morning, as the smoke was already thick in the small room. As ever, Dot had multiple cigarettes burning, but here in her inner sanctum, she clearly felt she could fully express herself, and in addition to the two between the knuckles of her right hand and one in her left, there was a lit cigarette in each of the three ashtrays on her desk. You want a smoke? She offered. I don't think we need to, Dot. <coughs> How can you sit in here like this? I just park my rear end in a seat and say put Artridge. It isn't hard. Can't you open a window or something? It's actually making my eyes water. Sure, I, I don't like to indulge Mr. Arch in his dainty constitution too much, Mrs. Clitheroe, but I got to agree on this one. <laughs> I feel like a piece of ham being cured in here. Suit yourselves, she grumbled. With yellow-stained fingers, she opened a small sash window behind her desk and used a file marked Accounts 2223 to waft some of the mist away. Bella? Thank you. So what did you want to see us about? I just thought you might have an update on how the case is going. The theatre is still closed, so more tickets are being refunded. If you remember our last conversation... We're very sorry, ma'am, but these things take time. Is there anything I should be aware of? And what sort of thing would that be, Mrs Clitheroe? This is a police matter. I know, but perhaps you've found something out that would be prudent to tell the company manager about. Things like illicit affairs or anything of that nature. O'Ralby and I looked at each other. My expression was filled with confusion, whereas his was filled with daggers. When he spoke, his voice was all razor-sharp edge too. Artridge, have you said anything to anyone? About what, Inspector? Shenanigans. I thought you said shenanigans didn't mean sex. Artridge! Sorry, I might have mentioned something about what we learned to Chaz last night, but she wouldn't have said anything. She's still a suspect, Artridge. You shouldn't have said anything to her at all. Where was this? In the Duke, I said, looking at my feet. Oh, well, it's no wonder words got out then, is it? Even if McConstance has kept her mouth shut, someone will have overheard, and that's what Mrs Clitheroe here is driving at. Isn't that right, Mrs Clitheroe? I looked up at Dot. She was puffing on five cigarettes with the face one wears at a particularly enthralling boxing match. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Heard some gossip from the Duke. Well, the cat is out of the bag, I suppose. Marlena Schweinvolger and Tatum Lyle are sleeping together. They are also my top suspects in the death of Daisy Love. So, if you don't mind, Mrs Clitheroe, I'm going to stop mucking about with amateurs and gossiping like old ladies and do some police work. He stood up and stormed out of the office, slamming the door behind him. Blimey, he's a bit of a hothead, isn't he, love? Cooed Dot. Sure you don't want to smoke? I felt smaller than a banker's conscience. Actually, a smoke would be lovely, Dot. Thank you. I sat there glumly in the smog-filled little office, neither Dot or I speaking, just silently drawing smoke into our lungs and expelling it. 
I did have a funny little thought that perhaps it was a wildly unhealthy thing to be doing, but quickly dismissed it as nonsense. After all, this is the 30s, we're at the cutting edge of medical science, and doctors, scientists and chaps far cleverer than me do it, so it can't be that bad, can it? I was musing on this when Inspector O'Rowby's voice started shouting over the intercom in the corner of the office. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, where is everyone? Ortridge, anyone? Where's that coming from? I asked Dot hurriedly. Now be the stage. I stubbed out my cigarette and rushed to meet the inspector, who had yet more news that would rock the case. Crime Clues and Christmas is a New York Friends production, part of the Comedy Who Done It's For Your Ears podcast series. Written and performed by Fergus Woods Dollop and Heather Westwell, with sound and music by Fred Riding. New York Friends gratefully acknowledge the support of Arts Council England in making Comedy Who Done It's For Your Ears. 